Chapters 10 to 13 of Book 6 of History of Animals by Aristotle. Translated by Darcy Wentworth Thompson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 10. So much for the conception and generation of birds. It has been previously stated that fishes are not all oviparous. Fishes of the cartilaginous genus are viviparous, the rest are oviparous, and cartilaginous fishes are first oviparous internally and subsequently viviparous. They rear the embryos internally, the batrachus or fishing frog being an exception. Fishes also, as was above stated, are provided with wombs, and wombs of diverse kinds. The oviparous genera have wombs bifurcate in shape and low down in position. The cartilaginous genus have wombs shaped like those of birds. The womb, however, in the cartilaginous fishes differs in this respect from the womb of birds, that with some cartilaginous fishes the eggs do not settle close to the diaphragm but middle ways along the backbone and as they grow they shift their position. The egg, with all fishes, is not of two colors within, but is of even hue, and the color is nearer to white than to yellow, and that both when the young is inside it and previously as well. Development from the egg in fishes differs from that in birds in this respect, that it does not exhibit that one of the two navel strings that leads off to the membrane that lies close under the shell, while it does exhibit that one of the two that in the case of birds leads off to the yolk. In a general way, the rest of the development from the egg onwards is identical in birds and fishes. That is to say, development takes place at the upper part of the egg, and the veins extend in like manner, at first from the heart, and at first the hand, the eyes, and the upper parts are largest, and as the creature grows, the egg substance decreases and eventually disappears, and becomes absorbed within the embryo, just as takes place with the yolk in birds. The navel string is attached a little way below the aperture of the belly, when the creatures are young, the navel string is long, but as they grow it diminishes in size. At length it gets small and becomes incorporated, as was described in the case of birds. The embryo and the egg are enveloped by a common membrane, and just under this is another membrane that envelops the embryo by itself, and in between the two membranes is a liquid. The food inside the stomach of the little fishes resembles that inside the stomach of young chicks, and is partly white and partly yellow. As regards the shape of the womb, the reader is referred to my treatise on anatomy. The womb, however, is diverse in diverse fishes, as, for instance, in the sharks, as compared one with another, or as compared with the skate. That is to say, in some sharks the eggs adhere in the middle of the womb, round about the backbone, as has been stated, 
and this is the case with the dogfish. As the eggs grow, they shift their place, and since the womb is bifurcate and adheres to the midriff, as in the rest of similar creatures, the eggs pass into one or other of the two compartments. This womb and the womb of the other sharks exhibit, as you go a little way off from the midriff, something resembling white breasts, which never make their appearance unless there be conception. Dogfish and skate have a kind of eggshell, in the which is found an egg-like liquid. The shape of the eggshell resembles the tongue of a bagpipe, and hair-like ducks are attached to the shell. With the dogfish, which is called by some the dappled shark, the young are born when the shell formation breaks in pieces and falls out. With the ray, after it has laid the egg, the shell formation breaks up and the young move out. The spiny dogfish has its eggs close to the midriff, above the breast-like formations. When the egg descends, as soon as it gets detached, the young is born. The mode of generation is the same in the case of the fox shark. The so-called smooth shark has its eggs in betwixt the wombs, like the dogfish. These eggs shift into each of the two horns of the womb and descend and the young develop with the navel string attached to the womb, so that, as the egg substance gets used up, the embryo is sustained to all appearance just as in the case of quadrupeds. The navel string is long, and adheres to the under part of the womb, each navel string being attached as it were by a sucker, and also to the center of the embryo, in the place where the liver is situated. If the embryo be cut open, even though it has the egg substance no longer, the food inside is egg-like in appearance. Each embryo, as in the case of quadrupeds, is provided with a chorion and separate membranes. When young, the embryo has its head upwards, but downwards, when it gets strong and is completed in form. Males are generated on the left-hand side of the womb, and females on the right-hand side, and males and females on the same side together. If the embryo be cut open, then, as with quadrupeds, such internal organs as it is furnished with, as for instance the liver, are found to be large and supplied with blood. All cartilaginous fishes have at one and the same time eggs above, close to the midriff, some larger, some smaller, in considerable numbers, and also embryos lower down. And this circumstance leads many to suppose that fishes of this species pair and bear young every month, inasmuch as they do not produce all their young at once, but now and again and over a lengthened period. But such eggs as have come down below within the womb are simultaneously ripened and completed in growth. Dogfish in general can extrude and take in again their young, as can also the angelfish and the electric ray. And, by the way, a large electric ray has been seen with about eighty embryos inside it. But the spiny dogfish is an exception to the rule, being prevented by the spine of the young fish from so doing. 
of the flat cartilaginous fish the trigon and the ray cannot extrude and take in again in consequence of the roughness of the tails of the young the batrachus or fishing frog also is unable to take in its young owing to the size of the head and the prickles and by the way as was previously remarked it is the only one of these fishes that is not viviparous so much for the varieties of the cartilaginous species and for their modes of generation from the egg chapter eleven at the breeding season the sperm ducts of the male are filled with sperm so much so that if they be squeezed the sperm flows out spontaneously as a white fluid the ducts are bifurcate and start from the midriff and the great vein about this period the sperm ducts of the male are quite distinct from the womb of the female but at any other than the actual breeding time their distinctness is not obvious to a non-expert the fact is that in certain fishes at certain times these organs are imperceptible as was stated regarding the testicles of birds among other distinctions observed between the thoric ducts and the womb ducts is the circumstance that the thoric ducts are attached to the loins while the womb ducts move about freely and are attached by a thin membrane the particulars regarding the thoric ducts may be studied by reference to the diagrams in my treatise on anatomy cartilaginous fishes are capable of superfetation and their period of gestation is six months at the longest the so-called starry dog fish bears young the most frequently in other words it bears twice a month the breeding season is in the month of mymacterion the dog fish as a general rule bear twice in the year with the exception of the little dog fish which bears only once a year some of them bring forth in the springtime the rhine or angelfish bears its first brood in the springtime and its second in the autumn about the winter setting of the pleiades the second brood is the stronger of the two the electric ray brings forth in the late autumn cartilaginous fishes come out from the main seas and deep waters towards the shore and there bring forth their young and they do so for the sake of warmth and by way of protection for their young observations would lead to the general rule that no one variety of fish pairs with another variety the angelfish however and the batis or skate appear to pair with one another for there is a fish called the rhinobatis with the head and front parts of the skate and the after parts of the rhine or angelfish just as though it were made up of both fishes together sharks then and their congeners as the fox shark and the dogfish and the flat fishes such as the electric ray the ray the smooth skate and the trigon are first oviparous and then viviparous in the way above mentioned as are also the sawfish and the ox ray chapter twelve the dolphin the whale and all the rest of the cetacea all that is to say that are provided with a blowhole instead of gills are viviparous that is to say 
no one of all these fishes is ever seen to be supplied with eggs, but directly with an embryo, from whose differentiation comes the fish, just as in the case of mankind and the viviparous quadrupeds. The dolphin bears one at a time generally, but occasionally two. The whale bears one, or at the most two, generally two. The porpoise, in this respect, resembles the dolphin, and, by the way, it is in form like a little dolphin, and is found in the yuxin. It differs, however, from the dolphin as being less in size and broader in the back. Its color is leaden black. Many people are of opinion that the porpoise is a variety of the dolphin. All creatures that have a blowhole respire and inspire, for they are provided with lungs. The dolphin has been seen asleep with his nose above water, and when asleep he snores. The dolphin and the porpoise are provided with milk, and suckle their young. They also take their young when small inside them. The young of the dolphin grows rapidly, being full-grown at ten years of age. Its period of gestation is ten months. It brings forth its young in summer, and never at any other season, and, singularly enough, under the dog-star it disappears for about thirty days. Its young accompany it for a considerable period, and in fact the creature is remarkable for the strength of its parental affection. It lives for many years. Some are known to have lived for more than twenty-five, and some for thirty years. The fact is, fishermen nick their tails sometimes, and set them adrift again, and by this expedient their ages are ascertained. The seal is an amphibious animal. That is to say, it cannot take in water, but breathes and sleeps, and brings forth on dry land, only close to the shore, as being an animal furnished with feet. It spends, however, the greater part of its time in the sea, and derives its food from it, so that it must be classed in the category of marine animals. It is a viviparous by immediate conception, and brings forth its young alive, and exhibits an afterbirth, and all else just like a ewe. It bears one or two at a time, and three at the most. It has two teats, and suckles its young like a quadruped. Like the human species, it brings forth at all seasons of the year, but especially at the time when the earliest kids are forthcoming. It conducts its young ones, when they are about twelve days old, over and over again, during the day down to the sea, accustoming them by slow degrees to the water. It slips down steep places instead of walking, from the fact that it cannot steady itself by its feet. It can contract and draw itself in, for it is fleshy and soft, and its bones are grisly. Owing to the flabbiness of its body, it is difficult to kill a seal by a blow, unless you strike it on the temple. It looks like a cow. The female, in regard to its genital organs, resembles the female of the ray. In all other respects it resembles the female of the human species. So much for the phenomena of generation and of parturition in animals that live in water and are viviparous, either internally or externally. Chapter 13 Oviparous fishes have their womb bifurcate 
and placed low down, as was said previously. And, by the way, all scaly fish are oviparous, as the bass, the mullet, the grey mullet, and the etalus, and all the so-called white fish, and all the smooth or slippery fish except the eel, and their row is of a crumbling or granular substance. This appearance is due to the fact that the whole womb of such fishes is full of eggs, so that in little fishes there seem to be only a couple of eggs there, for in small fishes the womb is indistinguishable from its diminutive size and thin contexture. The pairing of fishes has been discussed previously. Fishes, for the most part, are divided into males and females, but one is puzzled to account for the erythrinus and the canna, for specimens of these species are never caught except in a condition of pregnancy. With such fish as pair, eggs are the result of copulation, but such fish have them also without copulation, and this is shown in the case of some river fish, for the minnow has eggs when quite small, almost, one may say, as soon as it is born. These fishes shed their eggs little by little, and, as is stated, the males swallow the greater part of them, and some portion of them goes to waste in the water. But such of the eggs as the female deposits on the spawning beds are saved. If all the eggs were preserved, each species would be infinite in number. The greater number of these eggs so deposited are not productive, but only those over which the male sheds the milt or sperm. For when the female has laid her eggs, the male follows and sheds its sperm over them, and from all the eggs so besprinkled, the young fishes proceed, while the rest are left to their fate. The same phenomenon is observed in the case of mollusks also, for in the case of the cuttlefish or sepia, after the female has deposited her eggs, the male besprinkles them. It is highly probable that a similar phenomenon takes place in regard to mollusks in general, though up to the present time the phenomenon has been observed only in the case of the cuttlefish. Fishes deposit their eggs close in to shore, the goby close to stones, and, by the way, the spawn of the goby is flat and crumbly. Fish in general so deposit their eggs, for the water close in to shore is warm and is better supplied with food than the outer sea, and serves as a protection to the spawn against the voracity of the larger fish. And it is for this reason that in the Yuxin most fishes spawn near the mouth of the river Thermodon, because the locality is sheltered, genial, and supplied with fresh water. Oviparous fish, as a rule, spawn only once a year. The little ficus, or black goby, is an exception, as it spawns twice. The male of the black goby differs from the female, as being blacker and having larger scales. Fishes, then, in general, produce their young by copulation, and lay their eggs. But the pipefish, as some call it, when the time of parturition arrives, bursts in two, and the eggs escape out. For the fish 
has a diaphysis or cloven growth under the belly and abdomen, like the blind snakes, and after it has spawned by the splitting of this diaphysis, the sides of the split grow together again. Development from the egg takes place similarly with fishes that are oviparous internally, and with fishes that are oviparous externally. That is to say, the embryo comes at the upper end of the egg and is enveloped in a membrane, and the eyes, large and spherical, are the first organs visible. From this circumstance it is plain that the assertion is untenable, which is made by some writers, to wit, that the young of oviparous fishes are generated like the grubs of worms. For the opposite phenomena are observed in the case of these grubs, in that their lower extremities are the larger at the outset, and that the eyes and the head appear later on. After the egg has been used up, the young fishes are like tadpoles in shape, and at first, without taking any nutriment, they grow by sustenance, derived from the juice oozing from the egg. By and by, they are nourished up to full growth by the river waters. When the yuxin is purged, a substance called ficus is carried into the hellespont, and this substance is of a pale yellow color. Some writers aver that it is the flower of the ficus, from which rouge is made. It comes at the beginning of summer. Oysters and the small fish of these localities feed on this substance, and some of the inhabitants of these maritime districts say that the purple murex derives its peculiar color from it. End of chapter 13